Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today Rena Van Oust from Strata Central. Hey Rena. Hi Amanda, how are you? I'm doing really well. I feel like it's been a little while since we've chatted. I've been wrapped up in summit interviews and delivering the summit a week or so ago. It's great to be back here with you. Yeah, it has been a while, Amanda, but your summit went really well, I hear, and congratulations um, on that achievement and outcome. It was fantastic, actually. I like the way that people could actually listen to various subjects and topics at their own leisure if they didn't have time to do it in the morning. So I think a lot of us availed ourselves to that opportunity. Yes, good to hear from busy strata managers that they were able to dip in as they could. And you, of course, Rena, were one of our special guest experts along with Gordon Strait. I have to say your session was one of our most popular sessions when oh. I go back and look at the stats. Oh, thank you. That's really nice to hear. <laughs> important topic talking about renovation works and how we can systematize that process and how we can add value definitely the list for next year's summit 2021 is already building with ideas and guests and uh yeah we'll be back hey we're looking forward to it but for this week as we like to do every few weeks or so jump into our wins and our challenges for our week in strata from my perspective as a strata lawyer and your perspective Rena as a strata manager do you want to kick us off with your challenge for this week yeah so back in March we took over a strata scheme that had two matters where two lot owners had actually taken the owners corporation to NCash. And when we inherited the file, we sort of didn't really know where the matter was up to. We knew that it hadn't been finalised, but we knew also we were told by the subject applicants that the owners corporation had ceased using the lawyers that were engaged initially to progress the matter. And according to them and the Strata Committee, it was to do with repairs to common property that hadn't been undertaken. And when we inherited the file, basically we spoke to the broker because obviously it should have been lodged as a legal defence claim with an owner suing the owner's corporation. So I spoke to the insurance broker at some length and although the application for legal defence had been submitted, it had been submitted rather late during the course of the actual matters, which meant that because the insurer wasn't on notice from the beginning, the insurance company, which apparently is one of the ones that it's an insurer that you get when you, no one else wants to insure you, I was told. And they obviously refused to pay out the whole claim. So the insurance broker was reticent to tell me too much about why the strata manager had not lodged it in time. I think there might have been some sort of, I'm not covering up, but I think obviously a broker has a relationship with the manager as well. So I think they were trying to be polite hmm. about the reasons why. But in short, Unfortunately, the two matters were being billed out sort of simultaneously by, by the lawyers. So there wasn't really a clear demarcation between the matters, which were similar in nature. Anyway, so at the moment, we were able to negotiate a higher amount than what they had offered us, but it's basically less than half that they've agreed to pay out because of the fact that the Owners Corporation did not put the insurer on notice at the beginning of the claim, not sort of mm. halfway through. 
And yeah. so now, Amanda, the costs are being assessed and it's gone to the assessment process now, which is probably a good thing. But I probably wanted to just to let strata managers out there know and even strata committee members that if a lot owner is proposing to sue an owner's corporation, you need to put your in, insurer or insurance broker, depending on whether you have a direct relationship or not, on notice of a potential claim because once it started, then they can then, which obviously as per the policy wording, they don't have to pay out the full claim because they weren't told at the beginning. And you're saying, Rena, put them on notice that the owners corporation is being sued regardless of whether you're going to seek cover or not. They should be, pursuant to your policy terms, aware that there are legal proceedings that's correct. Been brought against the owners' corporation. Mm. That's exactly right, Amanda. And I think what happens is that you know it's a great disservice to an owners' corporation when this happens, where they can't basically obtain adequate cover. But the other thing also, so the strata committee said to me, "How can we now go after the strata manager for doing this?" And so, in terms of the file, it's you know we don't have all the records, we don't have all the emails, and I think in terms of the quantum of this amount of money, I think it, I think we're the owners' corporation's short. Of, by I think 30,000. I think by the time a lawyer is engaged to pursue the strata managing agent and go after their PI policy, et cetera, et cetera, I think, you know, there'd be more money probably spent pursuing the strata managing agent than the actual outcome of, of recovering those costs. So, mm. yes, yeah, so I think just a bit of a, an eye-opener and a warning to strata managers that you need to make sure that whenever an owner is intending to sue put your broker or insurer on notice that they, so that they're aware of what could be happening and then you, you're able to negotiate adequate cover once you have obtained a cost agreement from a lawyer to help assist with the matter. Yep, really important reminder there. I do hear from a number of buildings that they're not even aware sometimes that they have this option to claim under their policy of legal defence cover and also buildings who say we know we have it but we don't want to claim because we don't want to impact our premium down the track, which is fair enough, but then still understanding that pursuant to your policy terms you still have to let your insurer know what's happening so that they are aware of the claim that's been made against the owners corporation and um, that may or may not impact what happens down the track. Exactly, man. That's exactly right. Yeah. Thank you for raising that one, Rena. Handy advice there for our managers. My challenge for this week, Rena, is I have to say quite a serious one. And I have thought about whether or not I bring this to the podcast and I have decided that it is of a level of importance that our listeners need to be aware of this issue. And I have a feeling there may be some listeners out there, managers, owners, committee members, even lawyers who may have experienced this same challenge. And I'm interested to hear your views on it too, Rena. I was recently instructed, engaged by an owners corporation who was referred to me by their strata manager. Very normal for strata lawyers that a strata manager will say, here is a list of a few lawyers uh, who we have briefed previously, go and get a quote. If you're happy with them, they will serve your needs. I had a meeting with this owners corporation who had decided to engage me. And in the course of that meeting, discussing a number of different issues, they raised with me that their strata management contract, as well as their building management contract, was coming up for expiry. And they were looking at alternative options. They were looking at discussing the renewal of the contract with their current strata manager as well 
and were interested in getting some comparable quotes. And they had asked me about other strata managers that I work with and whether I had any people I could direct them to. I get asked that a lot. And I gave them a few names that they could chat to. And we talked a little bit about their expectations from the strata manager's service and what kinds of things they needed the strata manager to address in the coming term. Now, some weeks, maybe even months after that chat, I actually received a telephone call from that building's then strata manager, who was the current manager at the time I was advising the building. And that strata manager was very distressed, actually, that I had consulted with that building, that I was apparently aware that they were unhappy with the service that they were being given by their strata management company. And that strata manager was distressed that I didn't then pick up the phone and tell that strata manager that the client was unhappy with the services being provided by the strata management company. Mm. Now, first of all, I was shocked to hear that this particular strata manager expected me to breach my solicitor client confidentiality, to act in a way that in my view is unethical and to relay to the strata manager what it was that my clients had instructed me, confided in me, sought my advice about and the nature of the advice that I then gave. And I explained this to the strata manager who, to cut a long conversation short, did not accept that I wouldn't, as a fellow colleague in the sector, raise the issue off the record, if you like. Now, I'm raising this on the podcast, Rena, because I have a feeling that this is something that goes on, that some strata managers who refer work to lawyers expect that that lawyer is not going to give advice or receive instructions or take action that is contrary to the strata manager's interests. Well, I must say, I'm really shocked, actually. I've never really heard that before, especially from when you're dealing with a lawyer. I mean, like I said, a man of the solicitor client privilege. And secondly, just because you refer someone work, it doesn't mean that you have an entitlement to any particular treatment when it comes to working outside the bounds of, of your authority and your client relationship. Yeah, I must say, I think it does happen a lot in Strata because I think there is an element of service providers out there, including lawyers who probably pay a lot of money to advertise their services, you know, in various organisations and, and industry bodies and conferences, etc. But I don't really understand how that type of advertising or referral means that you're expecting the person that you're referring work to to then breach confidentiality. I mean, that's, I mean, I must say, I've never really heard of that before. Like, I know that sometimes if I refer work, say, to an engineer and the client comes back to me and they're not happy about the work that they've done, I go back and say, listen, you know, the clients approach me, they're not happy about A, B and C, can you please make sure you address it? But that's told to me on the basis that I'm going to communicate that back to the engineer. That's not told to me in confidence. Yes, It's exactly. the contrary. The contrary is actually, as it, as it Rena, like, you know, you recommended this person, he's done A, B and C well, but D, E and F have been left undone, not addressed. And I'd say, yep, no, you're right. I've, I've got the work. I've got the report. You know, that, that aspect of your requirements or the report that you requested hasn't been 
included those aspects. And so that's part of it. That's that's not confidential. That's more like. That is your instruction that exactly. you've been given yeah. from your client to then go and communicate with the engineer. Exactly. And that is indeed uh, my position, of course. If my client instructed me, Amanda, can you please communicate with our strata manager, explain to them yeah. the difficulties we're having, the questions we might have, the challenges we're facing, and please help us to resolve this issue. Or alternatively, if I saw that it was in the best interest of my client, who I'm acting for, mm. that there be some form of mediation, that there be some form of roundtable discussion, that there be some negotiation with their strata manager, then I would recommend that. And that process, if the client agreed and instructed me, would happen. But if the client is not instructing me to communicate with their strata manager, is not instructing me that they'd like to pursue that path at all, and if I haven't advised that that path is in their best interest, then there is absolutely no way without an instruction from my client that I'm going to pick up the phone, call the strata manager who has recommended me to this client and for that reason alone relay solicitor client privileged information and it was put to me that that is what I should do just I was floored to mm. hear that I had some understanding that this type of behavior did go on in our sector it made me realize how entrenched that behavior is because this was coming from a person who in my view was very experienced runs a very successful strata management business and I was very disappointed that this person was behaving in that way. And it made me realise that it's probably the behaviour is more common perhaps than I realised. And at a time when strata managers are trying to enter the world of professions and professionalism, and I understand that there's a big push from SCA to give strata managers that status, that kind of behaviour, that way of operating is unacceptable. If I liken it to a client who's unhappy with their lawyer, for example, and if they were to then come to me and seek alternate service, then I am going to represent that client without fear or favour. I am going to give them advice that is in their best interests. And if they ask me about their prospects of suing their former lawyer to recover some losses because that lawyer's done something wrong, I'm going to give that advice. And I'm not going to pick up the phone. Whoever the colleague, friend, associate may be who I'm giving advice about, I'm not going to pick up the phone and tell them about it and discuss it with them unless I have my client's instructions to do that. And that is the standard of professionalism that lawyers are held to. And if strata managers want to be at that same level, then that is the kind of behavior that is required. Yeah. I mean, I'd very much agree with what you're saying, Amanda, because I do believe that unfortunately my experience has been that overall the barrier to entry for strata managers in the past has been quite low. And unfortunately, there probably has been this sort of industry type practice that has gone on and probably still is continuing to occur. And until until there's a real education in terms of yeah, the professional standards that SCA is trying to foster and, and to implement for strata managers, I don't think that really that can be undertaken until there is a bit of a, a mindset shift in terms of these basic premises that occur in in other professions where confidentiality is paramount. And I think to me, it's a given that when you ask someone and you confide in a professional person, whether it's an accountant or even if it's the accounts and there's a problem with the accounts, I I wouldn't expect the client has spoken to the accountant and they've not told them to say something to me. They shouldn't say something to me, even though Mm. I might give them work all the time and refer them audit. There's a problem that needs to be dealt with. So um, yeah, yeah. it's unfortunate that um, that people use a, a referral base as a way to try and manipulate the outcome of 
what may not be in their interests. And who it's unfortunate for is, at the end of the day, the owners, Mm. the committees, the buildings, who may not be able to feel that they are getting the advice that they need to get because their lawyer is worried about putting the strata manager offside. Mm. That is the real concern. And if there are lawyers out there who are shaping the advice that they give when they bear in mind the commercial relationship perhaps that they have with a strata manager that refers them work, then that's terrifying, (laughs) quite frankly, as an owner, from the perspective of an owner who wants to get advice from an experienced strata lawyer, they shouldn't have to be concerned about that from what relationships this strata lawyer might have with a strata manager. They're the ones really who this culture needs to change for so that they are protected. Yeah. So Amanda, when I just spoke about my previous challenge with the cost assessment, I mean, I would have assumed that the lawyer also would have advised the strata managing agent at the beginning that, you know, are you aware that the Ants Corporation may have a legal defence policy. And so in a sense, because I think in that strata management company, a lot of work goes to that legal firm. Again, it's, it's probably both sides sort of not have fallen down in their responsibility to the Ants Corporation, where from the beginning, in this case, I think the Ants Corporation was led down the wrong path in terms of fighting rather than repairing, because actually the repair costs are a fraction of the legal costs. I mean, this is, this is, mm. this is the irony of the whole matter. So I think you're right, Amanda, there is that sort of... Um, There is that environment that I think does exist um, in the strata industry where I think if you do get a lot of work from someone, then you're less likely to say anything that's not in the interest of that person that's giving you the work if it impacts on your ability to get future work from them as well. And I do see that changing because I see owners becoming savvy to that, owners finding it easier to get access to strata law information, they're jumping on the internet, they're Googling, they're finding lawyers who are writing about topics, and they're able to have that direct access to strata lawyers, which they may not, 20 plus years ago, may not have had, and it was go to the strata manager and the strata manager will send you to the Mm. lawyer that they use because there's only a few of them. Now we have more competition in this space, uh, seeing a lot more owners directly approach me as a strata lawyer. Uh, I get actually very little of my work through strata managers and definitely not uh, one particular strata manager alone. And that's something that I would say to any suppliers to the sector, be careful, guys. Be careful putting all of your eggs in one basket Mm. because it leads to this warped sense of who you owe your duty to. And, uh, you know, lawyers are trained to look out for things like that, to be aware of conflicts, to be constantly questioning, who is the client? Who am I acting for? But if you are only getting your work, maybe you're an engineer, maybe you're a plumber. If you're only getting your work from one or a handful of strata management companies, whether they're big or small, be very careful about how that may be changing your business practices. And if that strata management company was to disappear for whatever reason, if you were to have a falling out again, for whatever reason, how would that affect your business? And I think when you have a more stable foundation for your business and a good range of referral sources, different types of clients, then you can more comfortably address these issues and perhaps, like me, speak openly about them without any fear that it's going to impact you. In fact, it's going to help people if we speak out about these things. And and that's why I'm here today doing that. 
Yeah, well, I think you're very brave, Amanda, because I think this is a very silent subject that's sort of been out there, I think, in the background in, in the strata industry, and at least now you've you've brought it to the forefront. And there are many legal firms that I'm aware of that have relied, for example, on one company for one aspect of their work, and then that company has actually taken that in-house, for example. So therefore, mm. a big chunk of their revenue has then been lost. So you're right. If you don't put all your eggs in one basket, then you don't have to worry. And I think the strata industry, you know, is growing. Our strata is still growing. And I think that if you're able to diversify and, and in a sense, try and fulfill the needs of other clients directly or owners' corporations through strata managing agents, um, then I think and if you do good work, then your, your reputation will precede you. You don't really need to rely just on certain people for work. Once your name's out there and people know who you are, then... Um, that sort of travels anyway because, I mean, cases are reported and people know who's been acting in certain cases, et cetera. So there's many avenues mm. of, of lawyers and other professionals, you know, getting their name out there, not having to rely on people at the end of the day just to be their only source of referrals. Mm, yes, dangerous position to be in for mm. a few reasons, I think. Yeah. Well, thank you for letting me share that challenge. And uh, look, I'm easy to reach. Let the emails begin. I'd love to hear <laughs> from. I think you've opened a flood box, Amanda. <laughs> uh, we will see. We will see. I'd love to hear those of you out there, whether you're managers, committee members, owners, uh, other lawyers, what your views are on this uh, perhaps controversial topic. And uh, yeah, we might do a, another roundup in a future episode. <laughs> Zoom walks <laughs> at the bottom of Pandora's box. <laughs> exactly. Okay, well, let's move on and shift over to your win for this week, Rena. Yeah, so this win relates to a debt recovery matter, Amanda, which are very common um, in terms of what strata managers are involved in. But the unusual thing about this particular case was that this owner who has been, has always paid their levies late. So what we found currently in the COVID environment is we haven't really had a lot of people that haven't been able to pay their levies because of COVID. What we have found is that those owners that hadn't paid it pre-COVID are still not paying it. So there's been a bit of a, bit of a consistency in terms of that aspect of, of owner's behaviour. And so this particular person, you know, was saying, saw one of the committee members and said, oh, you know, like, I've just got a legal letter from the lawyer after my levies and I'm not going to pay. And basically I've had a real estate agent come and tell me that the value of my apartment and the car space has gone down by quite a lot of money. We're talking about like over half a million dollars. This is because of the defects. And therefore I was told by my lawyer that I don't have to pay the levies because of that. Mm. So right. Yeah. Anyway, and so it's creative. Yeah. So this was brought to our attention by the lawyer acting for the Owners Corporation in respect of debt recovery. I then forwarded that email to our other lawyer who's acting for the Owners Corporation in respect of defects. And uh, basically, he he wrote a very well crafted email in terms of saying that these individual lot owner losses, which are purported to be from from defects should be claimed separately, that the losses that he was claiming, which were obviously hard to quantify and we had no evidence of, of it, there may be payments that he has made perhaps or rent that's been lost, for example, in relation to the defects. But it's nothing to, to do with the Owners Corporation and what it has and its duty to, to repair and maintain common property. It is not responsible for defects. We are trying to rectify them. We're working with the builder. We're going through the, the court process and basically the lawyer wrote a really good email saying all these things are matter and saying if you need to proceed, you need to go to fair trading and, and submit your own individual lot on a loss that way and not and you can't take it off the levies. So mm. 
So yeah, it was a good outcome and um, that owner did accept that advice and um, yeah, so it was actually quite good to have it done and dusted very quickly actually. And he hasn't paid yet, but at least mm. he's not trying to sort of use that argument that because of the defects and the huge loss in value of his apartment, which there was no evidence, you know, it's just I think someone came mm. to look at it and gave that figure, but whatever that means, but Yeah. It is something that I have seen a few times that owners believe that when they have a problem with their owner's corporation, whether it be because of a failure to repair and maintain common property or some other dispute, that a way of resolving that or recovering their losses, if you like, is to stop paying levies. And it is just never the answer, guys. Anyone out there listening, owners thinking that uh, you'll just stop paying your levies because something hasn't been fixed that may be impacting your lot, never a good idea. It's never something that the tribunal or our courts are going to support you in. As Rena's saying, the payment of your levies is a completely different issue to any loss you may be suffering because of the owners corporations or in your case, Rena, some third party, the developers, the original builders Mm -hmm. breach of their duties. You have rights absolutely in respect of those issues, but you don't address them by failing to pay your levies. Similar to um, tenants who just decide to stop paying their rent Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Yeah, um, and things. Yeah, tenancy law is not an area that I try to get into or pretend to know too much about, but I do know that tenants who try to punish their landlords by not paying their rent do not get away with that either. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Good. So it's good that you have that uh, handy advice there, Rena, that hopefully has done the job and answered those questions, even if that owner, uh, if they were getting some legal advice from somewhere, maybe not a strata lawyer who doesn't, uh, someone who doesn't understand that concept, maybe they were able to pass that on and get some guidance. Exactly. Okay, well, I'm going to shift over to my win for this week. This week, I'm bringing you a case. It is one of my favorite cases so far this year. Why, Amanda? Because it is about the right of an owner to inspect the owner's corporation's books and records, something that I love to talk about and I love to clarify for owners who some of whom have such difficulties accessing the records of their strata scheme and are often faced with responses from their strata manager or their secretary if they're self-managed that certain records are private and privacy considerations prevent them from accessing. Well, we now have an appeal panel decision in New South Wales. It is called Walker and the Owners of Strata Plan 1992. It came down about halfway through September And uh, the interesting thing about this decision is that the tribunal at the first instance, so when the application was first made, the tribunal actually found that the levy register that the owner wanted to inspect did not have to be provided because of privacy considerations and because everything the owner wanted to know was in the financial statements anyway. And a little bit surprising to read that our tribunal made that decision, Uh, but that's what our appeal panel is there for. And uh, Deputy President Westgarth and Senior Member Gracie have sorted that out for this lot owner and have said, absolutely, the lot owner is entitled to copies of the levy register. It is a record that is required to be kept by the owners corporation. Uh, All the relevant sections of the act are cited in this decision. And I will put a link to it in the show notes. It's a very helpful one. Um, I'm actually involved in a case at the moment. This is why this caught my eye, where we are seeking the levy register. And for 12 months, it has not been provided. So I'm now able to waive this appeal panel decision around 
around and hopefully convince both the strata manager and the owners corporation who told us we're not getting this levy register that it should be on its way to us promptly. And in this appeal panel decision, the question of privacy is also addressed and the appeal panel says that there are no privacy considerations that would prevent the inspection of these particular documents. Now, this is not the first time that our tribunal has said that there are no privacy considerations around owners' corporation records and that they should be available for inspection. The earlier case was that of LEGGE, L-E-G-G-E, and it's one that I've spoken about before, but I'm very happy to to have this more recent decision from the appeal panel. And I am sure it will be helpful for a number of owners who are having these kinds of difficulties at the moment. Yeah, it's almost sort of, when I saw that case, Amanda, that was recently that you're talking about, I just couldn't understand what the big secret was about a levy register. I mean, obviously <laughs> people are paying money into the bank account of the Owners Corporation. Those records are kept and that's they are the source documents which make up the financials. So if it's all in the financials, why can't you show them the source documents that make mm. up those financials? And and I just don't understand why people think it's private when it's just part of the records. I mean, and I'm even surprised mm. that NCAT in the first instant made that mistake. Yeah, I mean, yeah. everything that thing that's what I try and tell people is that everything the owners corporation has to keep in terms of all the records that it must be kept, all those records then must be produced, including all the source documents that make up those records. I mean, you can't have a financial statement without having, without having a bank account, without having payments in, having payments out. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And I'm just flabbergasted why strata managers think that. I mean, a lot of owner, I mean, if they're self-managed, I can understand they probably don't know much about the law or the act. I mean, that's they're not professionals. I mean, they're not, it's not what they are engaged theoretically to know about, even though when you're self-managed, it's like, you know, you just try and do it as you go and read a bit here and there, but you're not really qualified in a sense, to know all that information that's in the act. I, I think my message for, for managers and for committees who are being faced with these requests is to stop thinking about why the owner's requesting it. That's not a question for mm. you to answer. It's not a matter for you to know why the owner is re- requesting it. The simple fact is what are they asking for? Is it a record of the owner's corporation? Is it within our custody and control? Well, here it is. In when it comes to levy registers, I can tell you what I assume the lot owner is looking for is some record of whether people were financial or not exactly. when meetings took place. And that is a relevant consideration and it is the levy register that will show that, not the financial statements. Exactly. And that's what I was going to say, man. I think you and I were involved in a case where the Strata Committee were holding meetings post 30 November 2016 where the community members had to be financial and mm. that's why I think the Australian manager was actually um, reluctant to provide those documents because perhaps I think there were some members that were never financial and I just had a meeting recently with a new scheme we just took over and when I said to them that there's one person that hasn't paid their levy on the Strata Committee, we actually had emailed last week when I sent out the agenda, I said, make sure that you've paid because I could see that when I sent out the agenda, one person hadn't paid. So I was trying to sort of be quite sort of discreet and then on the day obviously I couldn't be discreet because I had to say that person wasn't financial and then mm-hmm. when that person realized that they weren't that that morning that they'd gone out and they'd paid it and they showed me their you know their receipt and everything so um yeah I believe Amanda that would be the reason that the owners corporation perhaps would not want the lot owner to know that information there's no other reason that I could think of that would cause mm. such a barrier to providing those documents 
Yep, but very clear authority here that owners are indeed entitled to levy registers and all other records of the owner's corporation. And look, Rena, maybe if we keep talking about it, if I keep saying the same thing like a broken record, it might start to sink in. Maybe. <laughs> we might see some behavior change. <laughs> as long as the right people are listening, Amanda. <laughs> Of course. And I'm very conscious. Good point, Rena, because I'm very conscious that we're preaching to the converted here. Those who are listening to the podcast, those who are are educated about these issues want to be more educated. Exactly. But I'm sure we've got lots of new listeners tuning in, I know, after the summit. And um, there you go. If you haven't heard me talk about records before, that's one of my soapboxes. I'll wheel it out again soon. (laughs) Sounds good. Thank you so much for your time, Rena. I will look forward to sharing our wins and challenges together again soon. See you next time, Amanda. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?